All right, so today we are in this book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's a pretty difficult passage to try to like wrap up and say, what is it trying to communicate to us? But at the end of the day, what the author of 1 Samuel is trying to do is it's trying to offer us a comparison. It's offering us a comparison between the person of Jonathan, this prince, this valiant man who trusted God, and it's comparing him against King Saul. Last week in chapter 13, we began to see cracks in King Saul's character, how he disregarded the God's command, his dynasty was ended, and he, and he was left without God. And now we're starting to see these cracks grow. And so we're really looking at the comparison of these two men today. And the comparison really is of one of faith versus folly. Jonathan, a man of faith, trusting in God. Saul, a man of folly, not trusting God. Now, oftentimes when we hear the word folly, uh, it's related to the word foolish in the Bible. If you think of the psalm that says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God, we begin to think of someone who's like a court gesture, someone who's goofy, someone who's silly. But in the Bible, when it talks about a fool, when it talks about a fool and his folly, it's not talking about a, a goofy person, but rather it's talking about an immoral person. And when we think of an immoral person, oftentimes what we like to think of is we like to think of their actions. But really, the, the true darkness in a foolish person's heart is not his actions as much as it is his heart and his heart posture towards God. That they resist God, they reject God, that they fight against God. And that's the, that what we see in this passage is, of Jonathan having trust and faith in God and, and Saul resisting God, fighting against God and, and not following after him. As I was reading this passage, my mind kept going back to Matthew chapter 7. Because really, when you look at faith and folly, it's two different ways to live. And Jesus paints this in Matthew chapter 7 when he discusses the narrow gate versus the wide gate. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, but few find it. Typically, I think when we think of this narrow way versus the broad way, what our mind goes to is the destination. The narrow way leads to life. The broad way leads to destruction. But one of the things that we don't focus on much is the way to the destination. What is the path? What is the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus, according to Jesus' own words, he said, the way to Jesus is a narrow gate and a difficult road. I want you to begin to think of Jonathan's path to the Philistines, where he had to go over the rocky cliffs, down a hillside called Thorny, up a hillside called Slippery in order to just get to the battle. It was not an easy path. It was a hard path. And we find that as Christ followers, the way to follow Jesus, the way to live for the kingdom is not an easy path. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. 
why is it worth it? Why is it worth it to go on this small, narrow path that's difficult? It's because Jesus is worth it. It's because we desire Him, we love Him, we delight in Him. And our delight in Him pushes us on towards faith and good deeds. Just imagine if you had a child wander from the truth. Parent, what would you go through to call them back? You'd go through anything because you delight in them and you love them because they are yours. Delight and pleasure and joy has the ability to keep you on that hard path and that narrow gate. If you're on that path just because you're like, well, I got to earn my dues and I got to tough it out and grip my teeth, you're not going to make it down the hill. You're not going to get past thorny in order to make it to slippery because that's not enough motivation. But it's a delight in our Savior that keeps us on that path. But that, that was a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. So we, we see that what we are being presented here in 1 Samuel chapter 14 is this two ways to live, faith versus folly, light versus darkness. And this has nothing to do with Saul's competency, right? Even though that Saul is viewed as one who is foolish and who is living life in folly, that says nothing about his competence. As we looked at the end of that chapter, it says that Saul attacked and defeated every country on every side of them, wreaking havoc on them, plundering them, and delivering them. Saul wasn't incompetent. He was quite competent. But you can be competent and foolish at the same time. So let's look at this comparison. I have a few points here. Uh, Last service, I just got to one of them. Uh, You can see why. Um, Our first thing that we really see here with Jonathan and Saul is that faith trusts whereas folly fears. Faith trusts where folly fears. Where do we see Saul in folly and fear here? If you remember in chapter 13, he was rejected by God. His dynasty ended. Samuel left him. He was left without the word of God. He didn't know what to do. The Philistines were gathering. Thirty Over 30,000 of them were on the hillside in the garrison, sending out raiding parties. And Saul, whose army is supposed to be building, is shrinking. I mean, he started off with 3,000 men when he was about to call the army to come together. And now when we count these men in verse 2, it says those thousands have dwindled down to 600. I mean, Saul Saul had quite a reason to fear, didn't he? How am I supposed to attack the Philistines? How am I supposed to defend my people with 600 men when they have tens of thousands of people? Legitimate fear, if we're honest. It's a legitimate fear. And what did his fear cause him to do? His fear caused him to be immobilized. Where instead of going and attacking the Philistines, instead of defending his people, we find himself withdrawing and sending underneath his pomegranate tree. Saul's fear, Saul's anxiety immobilized him. 
fear and anxiety is so real in our world today. I um, I love I love new words. Uh, that that culture creates one of them that that I've always liked was a was the word word a scrollaxing. Y'all y'all heard scrollaxing, where you want to relax and chill out, and so you take out your phone and you scroll your screen, and so you're just scrollaxing. This morning. I was reading an article, and, uh, and I came across a new word. Uh, it was called doom scrolling. Like, we are a people that went from scrollaxing on our phones to doom scrolling. We're now, when we are scrolling our social media, we're no longer relaxing, but we're looking at the next doom that's coming towards us. We have the coronavirus. We have, we have threats of other viruses. We have threats of hornet. What was it? What was the hornet one? Murder hornets. You're right. It can't be like... Yeah, murder hornets. And we're like, when we're scrolling, we're just looking to what's the next disaster that's going to befall us. We're like the Egyptians in Moses' day, right? With the plagues. What's the next plague? <laughs> There's just a few things out there right now to, in, to bring fear and anxiety to us, isn't there? And whenever we begin to think that what lies before us is greater than God or that God will not respond or that God will not deliver us, we're immobilized by that fear. Saul said, I don't have enough troops. I've only got 600 men. His folly led to fear. That broad path led him to fear and it immobilized him. But look at what it says in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the garrison, garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do you see the difference there? Like Saul had 600 men. He said, I can't do anything. I don't have enough. Whereas Jonathan says, you know what? I've got my, my cameraman behind me here who's carrying my stuff. What do you think about like crossing over this deep crevice full of thorns and slipperiness and rocky death before us and facing these tens of thousands on our own? Because it doesn't really matter how many they have or how few we are. What matters is, is the Lord on our side Saul kept thinking he just needed a bigger army. If I just had a bigger army, if I just had more resources, doesn't that sound like us? If I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a few more resources, if I just had an opening, if I just had a window, if I just... Our fear is a result of our folly. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't have to be immobilized by our fear. We do not have to be immobilized by our anxiety because we have an amazing God who's bigger than anything that can be before us. And I'm not saying that there's no reason where I fear is real. I mean, we can look at Saul's position and we can sympathize, right? 30,000, there's no chance. 
we would look at that and we would agree, yeah, that's a pretty bad predicament. There's a reason why his army is hiding in caves and in wells and in briar patches. But when Jonathan, a man of faith, looked at what was before him, he said, these, these uncircumcised Philistines, they, they don't have a chance. Let's go do this. And so Jonathan's trust in God led him to obedience. Don't miss out on that truth. That trust in God leads you to obedience and following him in his kingdom. How often through fear are we immobilized, thinking, I just don't know enough Bible knowledge. I don't have enough memorized. I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough to be used in the kingdom of God. I was encouraged by a story that Neil was telling me this morning. He just got back from a Mighty Oaks retreat where, where there were some men who were, who were coming, many of them not knowing Jesus at all, and, and Neil had the opportunity to lead one of the men to Christ. This man was on the, on the verge, and Neil was able to share the truth of the gospel with him. He accepted the gospel, and they went on a walk the next day, and another guy joined them on the walk. And Neil was just kind of hanging back, listening to these men talk. And this man that just came to know Jesus began to share the very gospel that he received the previous day with this third guy. He didn't say, man, if I just had a few more Bible verses memorized, if I just had one more training class, if I, just, if, if I were just a little bit more down the road, a little bit more holy, that's not what he said. He had enough knowledge to be saved. And then he passed that knowledge on. If you, Christian, have enough knowledge to know Christ, you have enough knowledge to lead someone else to Christ. Let's not let all the other fears out there, all the other intimidating factors out there keep us from sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's not let the fear of our situation stop us from, from serving the kingdom of God. How do we get there? You ever ask that question? Like, all right, that's all well and good, Steve, but like, how, how do we get there? How do we get there to have faith and trust enough to do that? And as I was thinking about that question this week, I began to think of Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 is a story when the Israelites were freed from Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt, and they're traveling across the, the, the wilderness to get to the promised land, and they're getting a little hungry. You remember the story? They're getting a little hungry. They're beginning to plan against Moses, say, did God just bring us out to this wilderness to starve to death? Like, what's the deal, Moses? And, and Moses said, all right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And, and what, what is it that got sent? Manna. So what is it? That's like what it means. What is it? Manna. What is it? Food from heaven, like came down and sustained the people of Israel. Think about that. How much manna were they supposed to pick up every day? Were they supposed to like fill their storehouses and fill their bags and fill their pockets because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? No. They were given enough manna for that day. And they had to go to bed at night trusting that when they woke up the next morning, 
manna would be on the ground again. And they had to go to bed that night trusting that tomorrow manna will be on the ground again. Christian, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I'm guessing like in 2020, I'm guessing it's weighty of not knowing the future, not knowing what tomorrow holds, of, of feeling the stress and the pressure of trying to, to lead or survive or f- whatever you do, it's weighty. And our, what we are being called to do is not to have all the answers and not to know what next week will bring, but what we are called to do is to trust God for today and when you know what you do when you trust god for today and you go to bed not knowing what tomorrow holds but you're trusting him and then you wake up and you trust him that next day do you know what you're doing you're exercising your faith my, my daughter's playing volleyball this year i'm super excited uh, and her coach sent her this list of exercises to do and like i'm i'm looking at this list that my my 10 years old supposed to be able to do and i'm like i, I can't do this which is either saying something about the list or saying something about me. I'm not sure which. Uh, maybe a little bit of both. But, like, there's no way that she or I can accomplish what's on that list at one go. So what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to break it down into smaller bits. And every day, work and exercise. And every day, push ourselves a little bit farther. Because what are we doing? We're, we're exercising our muscles. What God is doing this year in our lives is he is exercising your faith. He is exercising your trust, saying, believe me, trust in me, I will sustain you for today. And as we trust God day after day, we're exercising that muscle to trust him more. And like Jonathan, it prepares us for battle. It propels us forward to to strive for the kingdom. But what do we do if we feel ourselves trapped in anxiety and fear? Jesus actually gives us the answer. That's the encouraging thing. Like if you're trapped in anxiety, you're trapped in fear, you're living that life of folly, what does Jesus call us to do? That's what it says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field. They don't labor or spend thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he gives us this answer. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That passage, did you see what we are worrying about? He's talking about people who are worrying about their life. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? Is, is, that, is that something wrong with my body? Am I about to come down with something? That fear of, of death. It's talking about fear of provision. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will drink. Fear and worry about what other people think of you. Right? Don't worry about your clothing, what you will wear. Jesus is saying there are all these fears out there, all these anxieties out there, and the way that we fight against them in faith is by throwing ourselves at the kingdom of God like Jonathan threw himself at the Philistines. We throw ourselves into the kingdom of God. So, so brother and sister in Christ, what does it look like for you in your position in your life to throw yourself at the kingdom of God? What does it look like to show up to the office on Monday and to throw yourself at the kingdom of God, to, throw, to show up at, to the job site on Monday and to throw yourself at the kingdom of jo- God? What does it look like to show up before your school and your classroom and to throw yourself at the kingdom of God? Jesus said whenever you are trusting in him and you are striving for his kingdom, that what you need will be provided for. Because the Lord doesn't save based off of your resources, based off of your ability. But the Lord rescues and saves based off of his strength and his will. And that's point one. Christ Community Church, let us throw ourselves at the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whatever your profession or your role in life is, dedicate it to the kingdom. Trust God. Trust in his rescue. And he will deliver us. Let's stand and pray.